Good morning, church family. I am Kristen Yee, and our scripture reading for today comes from John 19, 25 through 27. Turn with me to John 19. This word comes to us inspired by the Holy Spirit as if Jesus himself were speaking to us. Let us hear together the word of the Lord from John 19, 25 through 27. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is the word of the Lord. What a great morning to get to be together. Thanks for enduring the rain. Um, Will and crew, that worship was awesome. Kristen, thank you for reading. The cute girl who said the prayer, that's my wife. We're just glad to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Thomas Nelson. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I get to... Uh, <clears throat> get to work with many of you, our young adults, and so uh, most Tuesday nights in this room, I get to stand here and I get to deliver a sermon, and so this is just, in my mind, a Tuesday that's happening on a Sunday morning. And, uh, and here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna look at this passage that was just read. We're gonna look at some of the final words that Jesus spoke before his death. And we're gonna use the iPad, we're gonna jump all over the place, we're gonna see a bunch of different verses. At the end of all this, at the end of the whole morning, my hope and my prayer is that when you look to the cross and you see Jesus, either for the first time or for the first time in a while, you're just in awe of this man. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for anyway, right? Whether you stumbled in and you don't know exactly what made you come in this morning or whether you were here last week and the week before and the week before that, it's this one man, Jesus, that draws us back over and over again. And it's especially sweet this time of year as we're only a couple of Sundays away from celebrating the resurrection of our Lord so let's, let's take, a, take a look at this passage. And as we jump into this passage, I wanna just show you what we're gonna cover today. So the big idea is that loving one another in kingdom community is proof that we are in the love of Christ. And we're gonna see that in these final words, that loving one another in kingdom community is proof of being in the love of Christ. And there's kind of three movements to this in this story. We're gonna see that sadness... And this is important. Sadness doesn't go away because one knows Jesus, but instead sadness's purpose becomes part of God's good and beautiful redemptive story for those that know him. We're also gonna see in this story that there is no delay in Jesus's warm reception of those who have run from him once they return. And then it's gonna culminate in Jesus calling the church to love others as sacrificially as he loves us. 
Now, these are not the last words of Jesus, and we say that, and I say that. It's just common language when we look at these seven sayings of the cross. Today, Jesus says, the text that we have, woman, behold your son, and then to John, he says, behold your mother. But they're actually just the last earthly living in the flesh words we hear of Jesus, because after that, he resurrects, and he has much to say. For 40 days, he ministers on earth. In the book of the Revelation, you see the words in red all the way through. Jesus has much more to say, but these are the last sayings that we're gonna get while he is in the flesh in natural human form. And so let's just do a quick quick review. Um, this is your trivia for the day. Uh, you, can, you can practice this at lunch. So here are the seven sayings. I just wanna show them to you. Uh, <clears throat> Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. This is this, this compassion that Jesus has over his enemies on the cross. Um, to the thief on the cross next to him, one of the thieves, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. This statement shows the authority of Jesus to save. He says, woman, behold your son. And then he says, behold your mother. <clears throat> this is, in other, among other things, the fulfillment and example of Jesus to honor his parents. Fourthly, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quoting a psalm here. And this is the picture of the separation between Jesus and the Father that Jesus underwent so that we in Christ do not have to undergo. The fifth one, I thirst. It's one of a couple of statements that are very, very succinct, very, very short. And this shows the fulfillment of Jesus being a human. He suffered in the flesh. And then he says, it is finished. And this is the completion of the atonement of our sins to satisfy the wrath of God. And then finally, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, which is a verbal statement of trust that signifies a lifetime of obedience on Jesus's part and the faithfulness of the Father in heaven. And so as we look this week, we're almost finished with these seven sayings. We look at this interesting line in John chapter 19, 26 through 27. So again, if you've got your Bible, keep that open. I'm gonna read it to us. And before I read, I'm just gonna pray that the Holy Spirit will move in his word today. Father, we've come to you, we've spoken to you in song, in prayer. And now, Lord, as we study your word, I ask that you would move with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, move in this place. Change our lives in Jesus' name, amen. He did thunder during the prayer. <clears throat> All right, John chapter 19. My ADD wants to like camp out on that for a minute, but I'm focused. Here we go. <clears throat> Let's go back one verse. Let's start in verse 25. We, we look, look at that in your Bible. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother's and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Can you imagine what was going through the mind of Mary we have a teaching meeting every week, and this past week we were in the teaching meeting, and Abby Montgomery um, was in there, and Abby, Abby helps lead our kids' ministry, and she's a new mom, and she just, she just had this moment when she kind of looked away from the rest of us, and she said, it would, have, it would be so hard, I can't imagine. 
I just can't imagine. And she kept saying that, like, because she has a little boy. Can you, can you imagine what was going through her mind as she and Jesus' aunt and Mary Magdalene and John the Baptist, or I'm sorry, not John the Baptist, uh, John the disciple, the beloved disciple, as they're standing there and she's watching her son we know some things about Mary, so let's try to get into her mind just for a second. We know from, uh, <clears throat> from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 19 and verse 51, we know that Mary was contemplative. After, after the shepherds came and they worshipped the baby Jesus, it says that, but Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them. We know for 30-something years, she had been, in one sense, fully aware of who her son was, and in the other sense, in a similar faith boat as you and I. And those waves, I'm sure, crashed against each other all the time. When Jesus went off to the temple and he came back after being gone for three days, again, it says that Mary treasured up these things and pondered them. She's been trying to, to figure out the God-man who is her son his whole life. And she has other kids. I just can't imagine the, the, the turmoil that, that she was in, the, the, the road that she had to, to walk down. Um, <clears throat> we know that she dealt with discord in the family. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it says that, that, <clears throat> that Jesus and his uh, his, his brothers and sisters heard that he was teaching the things that he was teaching and they all thought he is out of his mind and they tried to go stop him. So we know that Mary played referee and also was probably somewhere in the middle at times. But we also know that Mary was visited by an angel and given some very specific words about her son. And then uh, after Jesus was born, eight days later, she went and Joseph went to the temple and she again was given some very specific words about her son. And now she's seeing him hang on the cross. So this is the, this is the beauty of having a Bible you can flip around with or the digital Bible that you can just touch. Uh, so if you want, go, go back to Luke chapter one and let's just see in, in Luke uh, chapter one, where actually, yeah, verses 29 through, through 33. This is the visit of the angel. And just imagine, you're Mary at the cross. You just wonder if all these things aren't flooding her mind, these memories. I mean, that's what happens when someone dies, right? You're just flooded with memories. But to watch someone die as the mom, I can only imagine Verse 29 of chapter one of Luke, but she was greatly troubled at the saying, this is after Gabriel has greeted her and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him. Listen to this. This is what she was told before she conceived Jesus. And I just wonder if she's not thinking these words while she's watching him die. 
He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Do you think she thought that the angel had lied to her? Do you think she was disappointed in God at that moment? She's not seeing a kingdom born. She's seeing her son die. She's not seeing the throne of David being handed over to her son, who the angel promised this would happen. She's seeing him shamed up on a cross. His beard has been pulled out. He's bleeding. He's breathing his last I imagine at this moment, her heart and her faith were breaking. What is happening? And if you flip over just probably just one page in your Bible and you, you, uh, you go to uh, the chapter two of Luke and you see Simeon giving a blessing starting in verse 33 of Luke chapter two. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, listen to this. I wonder if she's thinking these words. Jesus is eight days old now. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, Mary, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And this child is going to be a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is the piercing of Mary's heart. She is losing a son. She's losing what looks like a promise from God. There's a, 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 an old poem. It was written in the Middle Ages. No one knows uh, who, who wrote it, but I want to read it to you. Near the cross, her vigil keeping, stood the mother worn with weeping. Where he hung the dying Lord, through her soul in anguish groaning, bowed in sorrow, sighing, moaning, past the sharp and piercing sword. Oh, the weight of her affliction, hers who won God's benediction. Hers who bore God's holy one. Oh, that speechless, ceaseless yearning. Oh, those dim eyes never turning from her wondrous suffering son. If Christ is called the man of sorrows, James Boyce says, was Mary not the woman of sorrows? But this is where I want us to just pause because some of you, this is the whole reason you're here today. As we look at this character study found in these verses of Jesus' uh, words to Mary and then to John, this is the whole reason some of you came today. Because you have believed that once you come to embrace Jesus as Savior, your sorrows will go away. And your faith has suffered greatly because your sorrows have not gone away. In John chapter 11, Jesus goes to find his friend Lazarus and Mary and Martha meet him. And the words they said to Jesus are this, the one you love is sick. So not even our Messiah was void of sorrows. In fact, he's called a man of sorrows. 
but God accompanies us in our times of sorrows. Just yesterday in my personal devotion time, my reading time, I was reading in Romans chapter eight, that incredible chapter. And the chapter has so much to say about the believer going through trials and sorrow. It talks about how the Holy Spirit is interceding for us with groans uh, that, that, that can't be understood by us 24-7. It talks about how neither, how neither height nor depth nor life nor, nor peril, none of these things can separate us from the love of God. Hear me on this. You are so, if you are a Christian, you are so entwined in the rapturous love of the Trinity You can't escape for even a millisecond. And for you, in Christ, let the artist finish his work. There is a reason for the sorrow in your life. There was clearly a reason for the sorrow in Mary's life. Our redemption, our purchase from the wrath of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus So carry on and trust that there is a plan and a purpose in those sorrows. Don't throw in the towel just yet because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Jesus' words on the cross, he addresses Mary, woman, behold your son. And then he turns to the one disciple that we know for sure was there, and that's John. Now, all the disciples had deserted Jesus, but John returns, and we know they all deserted him because in in John chapter 16, we're told in in John chapter 16, verse 32, it says that, behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you'll be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus told his disciples, in in a couple of the gospels, Jesus tells his disciples, you're gonna leave me. Peter says, I'll never leave you. And he says, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. Everybody leaves him, including John. But John has returned. And it's beautiful that John has returned. Why? You gotta ask why. Why did John come back? Why did, why did Jesus' aunt, why did Mary, why did Mary Magdalene, why did they all gather at the cross when they knew there was nothing they could do other than just be there and weep over their friend and their Lord who was dying? They all came back because of love. And I don't mean the Hollywood version of love. I mean, obviously, Mary had a maternal love for her son, but Jesus loved more than anyone had ever known or could understand. I imagine from the looks that he would give, to the words he would say, to the mannerisms in which he carried himself, to the thoughtfulness that just flowed out of him. I imagine not Mary, not John, not the other Marys, none of them had ever seen a man like this. It wasn't just because they loved him that they showed up at the cross. It was because of the love that he was physically pouring out in that moment, but had poured out that drew them back to the cross. Now, 
You can imagine if you were dying and you had been abandoned and someone who cowardly ran away showed back up. You might think to yourself, I'm not even gonna look at him in this moment. But the beauty of Jesus is that instead of an ordinary man's response, we have no ordinary man. And when he turns and he sees John, not only is he warmly welcomed back, but he is immediately assigned with a divine responsibility. Humans, we don't operate like that. You flake on us and you come back, we have this whole process of working you back into the system. And, and, and it's not a bad process, right? Like you gotta prove yourself here, prove yourself here, and prove yourself here. What is so interesting is when we see people come back to Jesus, whether it's in a parable like the prodigal son or whether it's in this story, he just doesn't have that. And the difference is he can see the heart. We can't. So we have to have all these processes and procedures to, to bring someone back in and to give them more and more responsibility, let them earn their place back. But because Jesus can see the heart, when a person really comes back, they are instantly back. There is no one mile in the woods, one mile out of the woods. All it takes is one little turn and you are back. I, <clears throat> I want you to go back to John, if you're still there, John chapter 16, verse 32. That's the verse I just read about how everybody would be scattered. And for some of you, this is why you're, you're here today, because you have run away. And Jesus knows where you've been. And it was fear or cowardice or pride or something that made you run away. And he knows you've run away. As clear as he knew Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed, he knew you would run away. As clear as he knew all the disciples would leave him, he knew you would run away. For all the runaways, look at John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. What? That is like, that is not what I would expect. If I was like, you're all going to abandon me, and when you come back, you are going to suffer. That's like a much more, that's like a better response from a human standpoint. When you come back, we're going to have a talk. This is like, this is beautiful. And I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, but it wasn't until I was studying for this, this text that John 16, really, really jumped off the page as not a standalone verse, but in the context, which it is. Look, the disciples are gonna run away and Jesus is not gonna be alone. He's gonna have fellowship with the Father. And I write you these things that you might have peace in me. He's telling the runaways that they, they have peace in him. And he says, by the way, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So look, I can guarantee you, I promise you, I don't even have to know your story. If you've been running away, you don't have peace. You just don't. If you've been living by the world's standards and doing the world's things, you don't have peace, I promise you. End of story. And so if you're ready to make the turn and to come back, then John 16, is here for you today. In Jesus, 
you will have peace. In the world, you're going to have trouble, but in Jesus, you will have peace, and he has overcome the world. But the story of the cross is not about Mary, and it's not about John. Those are great supporting characters. And there's been some interesting theology written about this passage in John 19. The, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that this is where Mary becomes the, 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 the mother of all men. Um, the, 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 there's just some, it, that's just not what's happening, just to be plain with you. What's happening here is Jesus is fulfilling, and this is very interesting, Jesus is fulfilling an Old Testament command when he gives his mother a son and his friend a mother. He's fulfilling an Old Testament command. He's fulfilling Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your mother and father. This is one of the top 10. It was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. He's fulfilling an Old Testament command. I would say this statement, as interesting as it is, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother, I would say that as, as kind of nuanced and interesting as it is, it's actually essential work on the cross. If Jesus had gone to the cross and he had not fulfilled honoring his parents and even bigger picture than that, loving his neighbor as himself, he could not have gotten to the words. Hear me on this. Jesus could not have gotten to the words on the cross. It is finished. If he just went to the cross and died and ignored his family, ignored his friends, ignored the thief on the cross, ignored the persecutors that were coming after him, just died, he could not have gotten to the place where he said, it is finished. Even on the cross, he is faithfully doing the work of fulfilling the scriptures. So in this little tiny statement of two short verses, there's a few quick things that I want to show you. I want to show you here that the kingdom does a few things for us, kingdom community, because that's what he's demonstrating is kingdom community. So let's, let's, go to the, let's go to the iPad. We're on the iPad. It's amazing. It's, it's so big. Um, it's, when you have just a photo up there, by the way, it's daunting. You're like, you don't want just like one person up there. You want like a crowd of people. Uh, they're giant. So here's just a few things that I see quickly. When Jesus saw his mother and disciple from whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into the home. So here's what I see Jesus showing us as he fulfills all righteousness and he gives us an example. I think he shows us a couple of things. One is that the kingdom slows us down. Look at this. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple. Now you say, well, that, what does that even mean? Jesus is dying. And I imagine he is just racked with pain. You know, a couple of years ago, I had that nail in my eye. If you don't know that story, it's a long story. But I had a nail in my eye, completely in my eye, through my eye, actually. And that was like a lot of pain. It was very uncomfortable. A 10 out of 10, don't recommend. Um, an eye is like just a ball of nerves. And uh, when you poke a hole in it, it hurts a lot. And so <clears throat> Jesus, though, on the cross, I mean, like, I couldn't think straight. It hurt so bad. But I didn't have my hands pierced and my foot pierced and my beard pulled out and my face punched and I wasn't suffocating. 
I had doctors and nurses, my wife, all kinds of folks all around. There's no one helping this man, but he stops. Even in his suffering, he slows down. And the kingdom, being a part of the kingdom of Christ, causes us to not just be all about me. Instead of just being all about his suffering, he sees his mom. And when he sees his mom and John, he stops. One of the beauties of kingdom living is that interwoven in the command of loving one another means I slow my stuff down and I look out for others and it keeps me from living this trivial life of me. He could have just seen him and kept looking. But the kingdom slows us down. There, uh, <clears throat> there's a guy who uh, uh, is one of our friends. He lives, in, uh, he, he lives in, in Israel. He's a Palestinian guy. And I heard him one time say, he said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Jesus is demonstrating, I want the gospel to go far. And to go far, we're going to go together. The Navy SEALs have an expression. They say, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Jesus is showing us deep breath. Look around and love the people that you're supposed to love in front of you. In fact, in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, I won't read it, but you can go there later. Philippians 2, 3 through 5, we're given this incredible promise that if you want to have the mind of Christ in you, then look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others also. Who had interest at that cross? It was Mary and John. And Jesus looked not to his own interest, but to theirs. And to his mom, he gave a son. And to his friend, he gave a mother. Uh, kingdom community. It's a command. Now, look at this. He said. And when Jesus speaks, it's not a suggestion over and over again in the Bible, we hear, uh, and the word of the Lord came to, and the word of the Lord, and God spoke. God has told me. You hear this over and over and over again, and so it's easy to see in other parts of the Bible, but when we see it on the cross, it's easy to miss. Jesus here, I really believe, is giving a command. He's certainly giving a command to John and to Mary, but I think, and that is, that is prescriptive. He is telling them exactly what to do. It is not prescriptive for all of us, but I do completely believe that it fits in with the whole of Scripture that this is descriptive. We are commanded to love each other as the Lord has loved us. Again, he's fulfilling Exodus 20, 12. So let's just ask the question, how well are you honoring your mother and father? Because he's doing it here. He's commanding that it happen. That this is, again, he's 
prescribing something specific for John and for Mary, but he is describing a life that we ought to live. And in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, the great commandment, we're told, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is like it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing so, all the law and the prophets hang on these things. This is definitely a, a command to care for others, to love them, family and friends and others. And some of you say, well, you, you can't just say something like that. And I realize that in today's world, this is just a side note, I realize in today's world, it is very popular to talk about boundaries in relationships. I totally get that. I'm going through a new book right now on boundaries. I think boundaries are good. I think boundaries are healthy. But let's not let popular culture override our understanding of Scripture. Let's let Scripture drive our understanding of how we relate to each other. So let me just say it succinctly. You may need to set boundaries in relationships. Maybe the way you love someone is not you take them into your own home. And you read this and say, well, I guess I better take that person into my home like John did Mary. No, sometimes we need to set boundaries, in particular with someone who has hurt you. But hear me on this. Set the boundaries so that you can love them better, not boundaries set to inflict revenge or pain. I'll say it again. We are commanded as followers of Christ to care for others. And if you have to set up a boundary, make sure the boundary is set so that you can love them better, not so you can inflict your own brand of discipline on them. And why? Because this is a witness from that hour the disciple took her to his home. Can you imagine the witness this was? They're leaving the cross and John is bringing home the mother of Jesus. You see, when we genuinely love others the way that Christ loved us and has commanded us to love, people are like, whoa, what is different about them? In fact, in John chapter 13, we're given an incredible verse. In John 13, 35, it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's why at the very beginning, I made that, that statement that loving one another in kingdom community is proof of being in the love of Christ. And what happens when this is all said and done? This whole thing, this whole thing, this slowing down to care, this command that we follow to care, this caring for others that creates a witness, what is it really? It's this incredible picture. And it's a picture of the gospel. Go back to John 13, look at verse 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you also are to love one another. 
what we see here on the cross, especially in these two little statements, is so powerful. It's so invoking of, I need to pause my life and care for the parents that God has given me, the family God has given me, other people in my life. And that is a witness whether they reciprocate that love or not, it is a witness. We could leave today and say, that's some good practical tools. Let's talk about how to flesh that out. Let's text a pastor and figure out how to do this. That'd be great. We can do all that. But you will fail. You will not love your parents the way you should love. You will not love your kids the way that Christ loved you. You will fail. You will not love your neighbor. They will annoy you. Like, you will fail. Your boss tomorrow, you will not like them at some point. Like, you, you will fail. And so we don't leave today saying, okay, Jesus gave us some good instructions on the cross through that example of John taking Mary and bringing her home and loving her like his own mom. No, what, what we see today is that isn't he lovely? He's in agony and he's still loving. He's faithful to the scripture so that he can say, it is finished. He welcomes back John without a word of rebuke. His mom, who he knows heart is breaking, he comforts. What we see here is exactly what we sung about a few minutes ago. That there is no one worthy of our praise and adoration other than this man who hangs on a cross. And so if you have received the love of Jesus as demonstrated on the cross, then try to give the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit as demonstrated at the cross. Because when we love one another like this, it's a proof that we have known love and that we've been born again. But at the end of all of this, I hope as we are two weeks out from Easter, we see this text, we see these words, we find comfort if we've been away, we find comfort if there's sorrow, but most of all, we find comfort. And this man is marvelous, who in his own agony is still looking to love and to serve and to give. And in that, in him only, as Heather prayed earlier, that we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so as we conclude this morning, my hope is that you will call out to him and say, let me see you fresh. Let me be enamored by you. You who love to the very, very end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the incredible picture of Jesus, the example that he is. Lord, the love that is embodied in him, caring for his mom, looking out for his friend, welcoming his friend back, fulfilling all righteousness, honoring his parents, compassion for the thief, compassion on the people who are killing him, Lord, may you just shake our hearts and may the dust and the hardness come off. 
And may we be amazed at Jesus. May nothing in our lives compare to the affection that we give him. Lord, I thank you that you call the wayward home. I thank you that you look at the weeping one. I thank you that you fulfilled all righteousness, that we might be righteous in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen.